At the end of last year, Pope Francis sent out a document establishing the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, that's today, as Word of God Sunday, where we are supposed to bring special emphasis to the importance of Scripture as the Word of God. Since our parish is currently reflecting on the liturgies of the Church, This Sunday provides us the perfect opportunity to reflect on that part of the Mass referred to as the Liturgy of the Word. We will explore the different ritual elements of this liturgy and then dive into the riches of the revised lectionary. The Liturgy of the Word at Mass begins with the first reading and concludes with the general intercessions. The basic structure is that On Sundays and Solemnities, we hear one reading, almost always from the Old Testament, except during Easter where it's from the Acts of the Apostles, and a second reading, always from the writings of the Apostles. After each reading is a chant or hymn. The chant that follows the first reading is the responsorial psalm although we actually have the option to chant that psalm without a response if we have reason to do so. The chant following the second reading is the Alleluia, except during Lent where a different response is substituted. Very occasionally, between the second reading and the Alleluia, comes a poetic hymn called a sequence. Currently, the only required sequences occur on Easter and Pentecost though there are optional sequences for Corpus Christi, All Souls Day, and Our Lady of Sorrows. The one for Our Lady of Sorrows, by the way, is the Stabat Mater. After the Alleluia comes the Gospel, followed by a homily in which the priest or deacon expounds on the mysteries of faith and the rules of Christian living using the sacred texts. The Liturgy of the Word concludes with the Creed, in which all are required to reaffirm their adherence to the ancient Christian faith, and with the general intercessions, in which the needs and prayers of the community are externally expressed before they are offered internally on the altar of our hearts during the Eucharistic prayer. Now, these homilies end up being fun fact homilies, so here are six fun facts about the Liturgy of the Word before we move on to the lectionary. One, the Alleluia is not a hymn that accompanies the Gospel procession in the way that the opening hymn accompanies the entrance procession. The instructions tell us that the Alleluia is actually its own separate, important part of the Mass, meaning that it is actually more important and more worthy of our focus than the gospel procession that often happens during it. We just process during the Alleluia out of convenience. Two, the special book used during gospel processions is called the Evangelarium in Latin or Evangelary in English. We sometimes use a special book that only contains the gospels, in order to emphasize that even within the Bible, the Gospels hold a special place because they alone contain the words of Jesus Christ, the words of God himself using a human tongue. Three, 
The fact that we sit for the readings and the homily is a relatively new idea. Pews came about during the Protestant Reformation because many of the reformers were preaching for two or three hours at a time. But if you go into Central American or European churches built before the Reformation, you'll see that their pews are often an afterthought, oftentimes not even screwed into the ground. It is only because the Alleluia and the Gospel are so important that they have retained the ancient tradition of standing. We also stand for the creed and the general intercessions because sitting is the posture of reception, while standing is the posture of prayer. Four. In the Roman Rite, and when I say the Roman Rite, that's the way we celebrate Mass. There are also Eastern rites that the Orthodox or Eastern Christians will use, and there are some older Western rites that are not used anymore. But the Roman rite is how we celebrate Mass. In the Roman rite, the act of reading is traditionally a ministerial function, meaning that it was supposed to be entrusted to someone other than the presiding priest. This is why our lay lectors are not referred to as extraordinary lectors, in the same way that lay people who distribute communion are referred to as extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. That's because it is proper that somebody who is not the priest distribute, uh, read the readings, but the distribution of communion is proper to the priest and is only entrusted to lay people in extraordinary circumstances. It is also the preference of the church that, sorry, it is always the preference of a church that a trained lay person read the first and second readings and a deacon or concelebrating priest read the gospel. The presiding priest is only supposed to read the readings as a last resort. Five. You will notice that when the deacon or priest says, The Lord be with you, before reading the gospel, he does not extend his hands in the same way that the priest does at the beginning of Mass, the preface, or the blessing. So when I'm at the ambo, I say, The Lord be with you with my hands joined. Before Mass, I say, The Lord be with you like this. That's because, again... The reading is a ministerial function, not a priestly function, and the hands are only extended for priestly functions. Finally, the relationship between the general intercessions and the creed is awkward. Originally, the general intercessions developed around the dismissal of the catechumens. It was always a way to pray for the church and to pray for the catechumens. But eventually, that practice died off. And it was only after the practice of intercession and dismissal died off that the creed was added to the Mass. They have not existed together in the Mass until Vatican II. Vatican II wanted to bring back the general intercessions and the dismissal of the catechumens. And so, God bless the committee, but they decided that the general intercessions should go after the creed which has caused some problems. Because the catechumens are not supposed to pray the creed yet. It is given to them right before they are baptized. And so when we have a ritual for our CIA, we have to switch things around and put the intercessions before the creed so that we can pray for the catechumens with the intercessions, as is historical. 
Or if we dismiss the catechumens during the Sunday Mass, we have to dismiss them before the creed and then do the intercessions afterward, which splits the dismissal and intercessions, which is not how it was in history. I often say that the Catholic Church is much smarter than me, and I hold that to be true in almost all things, but sometimes I'm like, mm, maybe they could have done better there. All right, now to the actual readings. Why do we use the readings that we do? How are they chosen? For me personally, the revised lectionary, which is to say the new set of readings instituted after the Second Vatican Council, is one of the greatest triumphs of that council. The new lectionary is so rich and so well designed that almost every mainline Protestant denomination in the United States adopted it for themselves after it was released, though they had to eliminate a few of the readings that were from books that aren't in their Bible. Before the Second Vatican Council, the Roman Rite only used a small, often repeating, set of readings, and very rarely used any readings from the Old Testament. It was always the Epistle and the Gospel, and that was it. Following the Second Vatican Council, the Roman Rite adopted the practice, already present in many Eastern and other Western rites, of having an Old Testament reading. And the number of readings used throughout the year was increased dramatically. In order to do this, the Revised Lectionary created a cycle of weekday readings and a cycle of Sunday readings, which are independent of each other. For the weekday readings, there is only a first reading, which can come from either the Old or the New Testament, and a Gospel. The Gospel selections are the same each year, while the first readings are in a two-year cycle in which odd-numbered years have one set of readings and even-numbered years have a different set of readings. Both the first readings and the Gospels are what's called semi-continuous, which means the lectionary just picks a book and reads through the major sections of it until that book is finished. If you come to daily Mass, it is very much like reading through the entire Bible over the course of two years. The Gospels for the daily Masses start with Mark, then go to Matthew, then go through Luke in the same way every year. The first readings alternate between the Old and the New Testaments. For the Sunday Masses, the Revised Lectionary uses a three-year cycle, where the readings are only repeated every three years. In this cycle, both the second reading, which is always from the New Testament, and the Gospel are semi-continuous, which again means the lectionary picks a book and just goes through it until it's over. So for the Gospels in year A, which is this year, we're going through the Gospel of St. Matthew. Next year we'll go through the Gospel of St. Mark, with a section from St. John about the bread of life stuck in there, because Mark's a short Gospel. And the year after that we'll go through St. Luke. The second reading is unrelated to the Gospel. Again, semi-continuous. Pick a book, go through it. So right now we are going through the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. That will happen all the way up to Lent, and then a little bit after Lent. And then in the ninth week of Ordinary Time, we will begin St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And we will go through that book for 10, 11, 12 weeks. And then you won't hear it again for another three years. 
The Old Testament readings, however, are not semi-continuous for the Sundays. They are always chosen in relation to the Gospel. And it's here that I think the Revised Lectionary really shows its brilliance. If we can note the connection between the Old Testament reading and the Gospel, if we can ask why this particular Old Testament reading was chosen, we can glimpse the theological depth and the wisdom of the Church. There were some very smart, very profound decisions made in choosing these Old Testament readings. With the exception of this Sunday, where the connection is blatantly obvious. The Gospel uses a prophecy from the Old Testament, and so the first reading is just the book where that prophecy shows up. Nobody really had to think very hard about that one. Now, outside ordinary time, the special seasons of the year do bring a few surprises and changes. During Advent and Lent, the Sunday Gospels are chosen not continuously, but very deliberately and specifically to relate to the special theme of each specific Sunday. Advent and Lent, every Sunday is very carefully chosen and prepared for. In these seasons, as well as Easter and Christmas, the second reading is also related to the first reading in the Gospel, unlike ordinary time. Every Sunday, again, has this theme, and all of the readings serve the theme. The Church has also preserved an ancient tradition whereby certain books of the Bible are reserved to certain seasons. So, we hear from the prophet Isaiah, mostly, during Advent and parts of Christmas. We hear from the Gospel of John, pretty much only at the end of Lent and then throughout the Easter season. And we hear from the Acts of the Apostles almost exclusively during the Easter season. For the daily Masses, this prominence is even elevated. Almost every first reading during the daily Mass during Advent is from Isaiah, and every first reading during the Easter season is from the Acts of the Apostles. In addition, the first letter of St. John is traditionally read starting December 26th and the days following during the Christmas season. So what's our takeaway from all of this information? If there's one thing I want us to think about, it is how deliberate and intentional the Church has been about the daily and Sunday readings. This is such a gift to us. It is such a gift of the Second Vatican Council. Not only do the readings give us a rich and full selection of the most important passages from the Bible, but these readings are specifically chosen to correspond with our liturgical seasons. Many people desire at some point in their life to read the Bible cover to cover, and this is a great and noble desire. But might I also recommend that we attempt to approach the Bible liturgically? What would happen if we bought a daily missal, a book that has all of the daily readings over the course of two years, and read through the daily readings every day for those two years? We would not only read through the majority of the Bible, but we would do so in a deliberative, formative, instructional way. Even if we just stick to the Sunday readings, we will find so much fruit simply in asking, why did the Church choose these readings for today? There's always a reason. 
What is the connection between the Old Testament and the Gospel readings today? Why are these readings appropriate for this season? Anyone who reads Scripture cannot help but be changed by it. This change is even more profound when we read Scripture according to the mind of the Church, aligned with the liturgy and liturgical season in the context of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass.